0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Show. Um Wow, well, we're just gonna jump right into it. Uh, I had to, I don't like to say uh, but there's a there could be a lot of us in this because uh, what's going on in college football right now? What's going on in college athletics right now? We're gonna we're gonna jump in on that with uh with Spencer Holbrook of Leonardmonroe.com and on3.com, and uh with our good friend Bill Bender of thesportingnews.com. Uh, tsn.com fellas welcome to the tim may show once again hey thanks for having me on how are you doing pretty good man Uh, we can hear you we can't see you bill but maybe that's a good thing what do you think spencer
1: i always love seeing bill so i think it's a bad thing i also um, am anxious to hear what he has to say about big 10 expansion because i I feel like we might be on uh, similar wavelengths there
0: Wrong, really? Yeah, two guys from Ohio University on similar similar wavelengths. Who would have thought that? Uh, bottom line is, that, you know, maybe if uh, we can't see Bill, maybe we can see his cat. You know, his cat's world famous now. But uh, let's just jump right into it. Number one, we're going to talk a little bit about Ohio State football, too, as this thing ensues. But, uh, uh, Spence, I want to get your take. The reason I want to have this little three-way forum here is uh, you're a young man. You're still in your 20s, right? Yes. Bill? Uh, you're you're what in your early 40s, late 30s? What are you, Bill? <laughs> yeah, well, I would take late 30s. I'm I'm 43. Yeah. So. And uh and I am uh you know as everybody knows I am 69. Uh the great the great age of 69. But we're coming at it from three different uh generations here to a certain extent. Uh, I grew up with conferences seemingly etched in stone, but really they weren't. The Southeastern Conference, when I grew up in Alabama, uh, Southeastern Conference at one time had uh, Georgia Tech and Tulane in it, you know, and then things started changing. Moved to Texas, Southwest Conference, you know, had had all these schools, and one of them was Arkansas. Next thing you know, Arkansas goes to the Southeastern Conference, and uh, and then that thing finally broke up, became went from uh, Southwest Conference in the Big Eight to those merging, becoming the Big Twelve but I'd already moved to Ohio by then and uh you know way back when when I was growing up it was a Pac 8 you know now over the over the last uh, several days the Pac 12 has gone from the Pac 12 to the final 4 you know it, it's been crazy uh what's been going on here uh over the last year but definitely over the last over the last week with of course the announcement at the end of the week that uh, Oregon and Washington were going to join the Big 10 in 2024, along with USC and UCLA, which had already made good their great escape, and that other members of the uh, of the Pac-12 were going to the uh, Big 12. So, you know, the times there are changing, the numbers, the reason you don't want to change the numbers on the conference designations like Big 10 is who knows how many members are going to have when this is all over. But I'm just wondering, first, I'll go to you, Bill, how, not out of the blue, but Maybe over the quickly over the horizon, did this Oregon Washington news come? And at least from your vantage point, and what do you think precipitated it?
2: Well, I mean, it sounds like this talk has been going on for a while. I mean, we were talking about Oregon and Washington when the Pac 12 picked up USC and UCLA. When the three of us were in Indianapolis for Big Ten Media Day and Colorado left, you knew something else was going to be behind it. yeah, Pete Tamil's report about Utah, Arizona State, that made sense. Um, and then this domino was going to fall. I, I've i thought about it all weekend. I don't know if it's good or bad. I, I think it it's smart to get the four biggest brands off the West Coast if that's the way you want to handle it. Is it good for college football? No. Nobody can sit here and say that ripping a conference apart that's been around for 100 years is good for college football. Uh, but – as I was saying, for all these people that were throwing flowers on the Pac-12's great grave on Friday, you weren't watching. Don't lie. You weren't watching. There was only one game in Pac-12 play last year that had a rating of 2.0 or better, and that was UCLA and USC because people wanted to watch Caleb Williams. So, I do have some cynicism about it in the direction this is going.
0: Uh, let's get to you, Spitz. Well, if nobody's watching Pac-2, Pac-12 football... Uh... Why is the Big Ten so keen to get these teams? What do you
1: think, Spence? Yeah, I mean, I'm anxious to hear what Gene Smith has to say. I'm anxious to hear maybe we'll, you know, at some point Tony Petiti will talk again. But, you know, my big question here is other than Fox and NBC and CBS, who does this benefit? Uh, I think it does benefit – um, right now, in the short term, Oregon and Washington, who are going to get more money from the Big Ten than they do the Pac-12, it doesn't yeah. benefit them in the long term for losing out on $40 million a year per school compared to what Rutgers and Maryland are going to get to be the bottom feeders of this league. They're going to make $40 million less per year over the next six years when this contract plays out. Rutgers is going to have made uh, six times four. Is twenty four two hundred and forty million more dollars in television revenue than Oregon and Washington. So were you already behind the Big Ten? Yes, but just because you're you have a Big Ten logo doesn't mean that you are benefiting from this because you're still going to be in six years two hundred and forty million dollars in the red compared to the red, or you know uh, uh, behind compared to the others. And so yeah. I don't I don't love this for anything. Uh, I am a one of probably the youngest college football purists, as they say, that you will find. Um, I don't like all of this movement, but I'm almost resigned to it now. Bill, I, I was like you said, I was trying to think of what to say this weekend, and it's 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 a uh, a sad reality, but it is a reality, and that's just where we are. But I, again, I just I don't really see who exactly this benefits other than the networks who are pulling the strings.
0: Well, I, I would think it it benefits in the long run everybody involved from the standpoint of you've got a home you know and uh because the pack 12 it was a blowing up and you know colorado really started the avalanche which you know makes sense since it's up there around the rocky mountains but uh that really started the avalanche and and it and it, it really more than anything it was a peak behind the curtain that uh Things were not good in Pac-12 land. Uh, trying to get a, a TV deal done, and then you find out they're doing Apple streaming. Uh, possibly is their TV deal, and you're going, that's not gonna, that's not gonna pay the bills like the like the mega, the mega deal that the uh, the one thing Kevin Warren did good for the Big Ten was a mega deal he put together with uh, three over-the-air uh, 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 broadcast partners, and then on top of that now. Uh, ESPN may be, may get back into play, perhaps uh, in the sense of getting involved in that late night, that Pac-12, uh, that Pac-12 late night game. Uh, we'll see where that goes. Dennis Dodd brought that up a year ago with me when I had him on my show, just talking about the the final shoe had not dropped. I want to go to you though, Bill Bender. Uh, now that the big uh, now that the Big Ten is going to have uh, 18 teams, who are going to be the next two teams to join the Big Ten? Bill Bender, go to you first.
2: I mean it. I don't think they'll go after Florida State and Clemson, and and the either. reason why because not only the ACC grant of rights, the uh, the Big Ten's not going to win in the South in terms of getting teams for Like there's what is the point of that? Grabbing two markets where that entire region of the country is going to follow SEC and ACC anyway. I Stanford and Cal make sense. From the academic academic standpoint, Stanford's had a really good football program since 2000, about 15 years ago. As I pointed out on Twitter, and got a lot of pushback. I mean, they have a better record than Michigan the last 15 years. They've had four guys finish runner up in the Heisman in the last 15 years. Yeah, it's not like that's a bad football program. Now, do they put enough butts in the seats? Probably not. Does Cal know? But it. If they're gonna to go to 20, I think those would be the two they would grab unless Notre Dame somehow comes on the table. And it looks like Notre Dame's not, though I'm curious to see if Notre Dame can actually get 65 to 75 million from NBC or why would NBC pay them that when they can just maybe do some behind the back the scene behind the closed door scenes, get them in the Big Ten. I would absolutely, I think the best potential pairing for the Big Ten to go to 20 would be Stanford and Notre Dame. And from yep. Notre Dame vantage point, you would have Stanford, you would have USC, you would have all those Big Ten rivalries that they've created. Tell people all the time: it's like if you don't think Notre Dame belongs in the Big Ten, just look at the ratings when they play Ohio State. It was true last year; it'll be even more true this year because they're in South Bend.
0: Yeah, but you know the the Spence. I want to jump in here real quick. Uh, the other conference that's teetering right now—you get the idea—because there's too much smoke going on from the from ACC from the ACC land about teams that could be going to the SEC, possibly to the Big Ten. You know, I have I have said for a while now, I think uh, that uh, University of Notre Dame and University of North Carolina, UNC, and UND will end up in the Big Ten eventually. I truly believe Notre Dame will end up in the Big Ten no matter what we're hearing, uh, just... You know, we were hearing two weeks ago at the Big Ten meetings that uh, Tony Petiti, the new commissioner of the Big Ten, had been charged with getting USC and UCLA up and going uh, scheduling wise and everything else. And in fact, there had to be something going on behind the scenes. But I really think, I really think most of the work was done in the, in the three or four days leading up to the announcement last week. So I don't think anything's out of the uh, out of out of happening. Uh, here in terms of who the Big Ten could add next. What do you think, Spence?
1: I think that it is – it would be very wise for the Big Ten to not get into business with Florida State, considering the J.P. Morgan Morgan Chase News, the private equity firm, the the path that that university is choosing to potentially go down. I think the presidents and chancellors in the Big Ten would be very, very wise to stay as far away from Tallahassee as possible. And that's just one man's opinion, but I – I look at the way private equity can affect sports and impact sports. And I say, absolutely not. Uh, With that being said, there are two types of country club in the ACC. There's the Big Ten country club and there's the SEC country club. Even if you're in the ACC, you're one of the two. I think North Carolina is very much a Big Ten country club school. I think Virginia is very much an SEC country club school. So if you're going to add an ACC program, it would probably be North Carolina. I I don't know how much Clemson does for you. I understand the national championships won in the 80s two now, but you know, this is a, this is a, an entire athletic department endeavor for the big 10. Yeah. The big 10, believe it or not, does still care and value Olympic sports. The only program that can really help you in that regard, there are two there's North Carolina and there's Stanford. Yes. But I, I, I do believe that Stanford and Notre Dame are the two most likely. I think they're the two that make the most sense from the big 10s strategic point of view and truthfully, I, I don't think Cal is going to be playing major football in the next five to 10 years. I think that that, that university has has shown, you know, this is a uh, don't believe what you say. Believe what you do. Cal has done nothing to show that it cares about football whatsoever, other than take money out of UCLA's coffers uh, on this Big Ten move. And so I don't think Cal is going to be playing football. So I don't think you're going to have to worry about them. So you can I, I agree with Bill. There's no reason to go fight a losing war in the South. um. And I, I think that you you might as well go out west, grab Stanford, and then put a almost in, uh, you know an embargo on playing Notre Dame. Okay, Notre Dame, you don't want to be in this league. That's fine. But you're not playing Stanford and you're not playing USC. You're not playing Michigan and you're not playing Michigan State. And from there, Notre Dame will not have a choice. And I think that's where the Big Ten gains its leverage, where Notre Dame's had the leverage for over 100 years. The Big Ten can very easily, with one fell swoop of Stanford, get the leverage over Notre Dame and then make this thing a 20 team league. Do I want that? No. But do I think that's probably the best move here for Tony Petiti and the chancellors? I do think that's probably
0: where they should go with this. So what you're calling for is you're calling for the big 10 to have a blockade, a blockade of <laughs> Notre Dame, right? Uh,
1: I don't see ahead. why you
0: wouldn't do that. Why, like, I okay, agree.
1: You You now are on NBC, just where Notre Dame is. You now have USC who Notre Dame wants to play every year. If this thing goes to 10, on the big 10 games, if you go to 10 big 10 games, USC is not going to want to play them annually anyway. Yeah. And so, you know, you might as well fold them in, make them that protected rivalry, you know, maybe go to a two and eight model or, or something like that, but go to 10, tell USC, you're not playing Notre Dame and then see what Notre Dame does. Then the next step would be add Stanford and tell Notre Dame, you're not playing Stanford either. Right. And, and there you can, you can really start to, to twist their arm and make them, you know, have you know, to choose between their own NBC contract or, uh, y- you know the big Ten
0: you know who came up with that idea a long time ago and Bill you you probably remember this too uh Spencer may be a little too young for this but I don't maybe not because he studies history Joe Paterno said that he goes hey we just don't play them meaning uh if the Notre Dame doesn't want to be a part of the Big Ten you remember we all remember when Notre Dame almost became part of the Big Ten uh what a couple of decades ago but their alumni were very adamant that they wanted to stay independent, whatever that means, you know, they're part of the ACC with all, their, with all their other sports and a tacit member to a certain extent of the ACC right now with their football program. So what, what is independence? But uh, you know, uh, I think Spence has a good point. If, if you go to almost blockade them, meaning uh, block them out of your scheduling, because let's face it, if you go to 18 teams, which a big 10 is doing and perhaps a 20, you know, it might behoove the big 10 to play, to play ten conference games and two and two out of conference games, uh, just to to make it more of a an, an intra conference kind of relationship. What do you think, Bill? Well,
2: well, first of all, Spencer forgot the third country club, which is the Lancaster Country Club, where yeah. me and my high school buddies <laughs> shot a minus eight in a scramble yesterday. And while we were doing that, all we talked about were all these realignment moves. And one of them's a Notre Dame guy, and he. Uh... So I, I think with Notre Dame, it's a couple things. One, Spencer's right. If I was the Big Ten, I would absolutely try to block them or embargo them from playing those opponents. I think the problem with that might be NBC's involved with both and their new athletic director is a NBC guy. And that's why I'm wondering if that's the behind the scenes stuff I'm talking about that maybe pulls them to the Big Ten. The other thing is some of these schools, what they're going to find out, what Washington, Oregon, USC and UCLA are going to find out and you know this, Tim, from being around the conference. The original Big Ten members, the Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, you know, those kind of Michigan State, technically not, but um, those fan bases still treat Penn State like outsiders yeah. and they treat Nebraska like outsiders. And they, they definitely, they don't, I don't even know what the word is for how we treat Rutgers and Maryland as Big Ten guys, you know? Um <laughs> Yeah. So how do you think they're going to feel about these West Coast? There's some apprehension about it. The... Idea of Ohio State going out to Washington on November 11th when they've got Michigan two weeks later, right? Like those kind of hitches in the schedule. That's why I'm wondering if you get Stanford, if you get Notre Dame, Tony Gerteman kind of coined this term when we were at Big Ten meeting today, two tens. You got two big tens, uh, big tens conference. Um, And uh, I could see that. You know, you have two pods of 10, and That makes sense to me. You've got your own little AFC, NFC, whereas everybody's calling the big 10 and the SEC, the AFC. Well, the big 10 would have its own little NFL within the conference. I don't think. I came up with,
0: I came up with big 10 X two or a big 10 times two. So I, I think that's got a little panache to it, a little bit of a, a zing to it. Hey, uh, you know, before we carry on here, I wanted to get to, uh, we've got a new sponsor uh, with On3.com and lettermanroe.com, a new sponsor coming on board, uh, GameTime.co. And, uh, you know, for, people are going to be looking for tickets, uh, definitely looking for tickets once this uh, Big Ten expands, but even this year uh, with some huge games on board. And, you know, the place to go is GameTime.co. And uh, uh, here's the reason why. This is the game time. This is the game time insert for the Tim May show. We're going to be coming down in three, two, and one. GameTime.co, the GameTime app. It's a stress reliever. You're looking for those last minute tickets to a, to a big time concert, or you're looking for tickets to Ohio State football games. GameTime.co, the GameTime app, is the way to go. For example, You want to go see the Morgan Wallen concert this Friday night in Ohio Stadium. The place is going to be rocking, even though it's country. Uh, You've got to get in price right now on the game time app of $138. Or let's say you planned ahead, which I don't do a lot of, but maybe you do. And you want to go see basically the premier Ohio State home game of the year, Penn State at Ohio State on October the 21st. The get in price right now is $158. And there's a good chance there's a good chance prices are going to go up the closer you get to that big showdown game. The bottom line is this is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. You get images of of what you will be seeing from your seat before you buy those tickets. Uh, and you can buy those tickets in a matter of seconds and two taps and boom, you're all set. And the tickets are sent directly to your phone. So you never have to dig through your email. So, Download the game time app, download it right now. And if you do download it and you create an account and you use the code word Buckeyes, you'll get $20 off your first purchase. That's right. Terms will apply. But again, if you create an account and redeem have the redeem code Buckeyes, uh, you will get $20 off your first purchase. And remember, this comes with a game time guarantee. If you find a similar, after buying these tickets, if you find a... a a ticket in the same row, same area, uh, for a lower price, game time will refund 110% of the difference. Now that's a hell of a guarantee. That's why you want to download game time today for last minute tickets at the lowest price, guaranteed. Yeah, you're gonna be trying, you're gonna be, you're gonna be looking for a spot, a place to get those tickets, man, for these big time games coming up. And uh gametime.co or the game time app is the, is gonna be the place to go, right, Spence? Yes,
1: yes, because the tickets for the first trip to Seattle to to Sailgate, the tickets to Austin when Ohio State was supposed to go out there in 2020 to play Oregon, uh, yeah. Ohio State in the regular season in the Rose Bowl, uh, the, the Coliseum, you know USC coming to town, like those are all going to be be hot hot ticket items. And so, yeah, it's exciting for the Big Ten these games that they are adding. Obviously, I'm apprehensive. Obviously, Bill's apprehensive. Tim, I'm, I'm sure that you've got your thoughts, but. I do think that that the games that we're going to get in the regular season are the plus side of this. I mean, oh, yeah. for every Washington Rutgers, there's going to be Washington, Michigan. So that that's exciting.
0: Yeah. And by the way, you know, you saw where uh, the Missouri coach uh, kind of ripped on this expansion, uh, talking about uh, not taking into account travel times, um, et cetera, from West Coast to East Coast. And, you know, this is Missouri that's in the Southeastern Conference. When I grew up, they were in the Big Eight, but that's another story. But the bottom line is, you know, you can you actually can fly from Rutgers uh, to uh, Seattle uh, in about the same time as you can get from Columbia, Missouri to Auburn, Alabama. So from the standpoint of travel, you know, they all have their challenges and definitely for the Olympic sports, the non-revenue sports, as we used to call them. uh, This is this is going to that's the challenge that no one's talking about. But it's going to be much more. It's going to be a tougher uh, road to hoe, so to speak, for Washington. Oregon, USC, and UCLA coming east because they'll have to come east, you know, basically in essence every other game, as opposed to the big, the rest of the Big Ten going west, right, Bill?
2: Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. How it, can they compete every week? I mean, I, I was saying this too. I've watched a, we we all watched Ohio State lose to Oregon a few years ago yeah. in a one week scenario. On a game that started at
0: noon at 9 a.m. Right. their time.
2: <laughs> all the, yeah, we made all that concern about – they came in, they won the game. Yeah. Um, I've seen Oregon go into the big house and watch Dennis Dixon run all over the place and beat them. I've seen – but I've also seen Ohio State beat a loaded Washington team that came across the country way back when they had – remember Cody Pickett. Oh, That's yeah. Those so, it, in some aspects, it's going to be fun. The one thing I am looking forward to most – about this Pac-12 wing coming to the Big Ten is a new-aged kind of USC-Ohio State rivalry. Because there is a generation of fans, like said, so Spencer, I don't worry about Spencer. Spencer knows his history. He's a sharp guy. He went to OU. He knows Big Ten history. So, you know, he gets that. But there are generation of young fans, like my son, for example, that they if you tell him, hey, man, Ohio State-USC was the most important game like for a decade. Um, you know, in that rivalry, I'm looking forward to that. And Michigan and uh, USC definitely have a little bit of a history there. So, you know, we'll see if those Pac-12 schools can compete. I think there is a. I would share Spencer's sentiment that I don't know that they can. I don't know that a Oregon or a Washington can can just come in and win the Big Ten. Much like Nebraska hasn't done it. I mean, how many Penn, How many Big Ten championships does Penn State have?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, not is it three it's 94 uh oh5 or oh seven oh eight like they don't oh oh8 95
0: 94 they don't have yeah. a lot well in, in 2000 whatever it was uh 16 several years ago Uh um, 16 yeah there you yeah, go yeah how could I forget that one yeah well but it, they're easily forgettable I mean that's the point point. and you know and it, let's get to this real quick because you know uh before we're done here I want to get your take on this Spence uh 2023 uh we're sitting here. Ohio State is de- deep into camp now. Uh, obviously, Michigan is too. I want you to get. I want you to give me, uh, Spence, your national top four right now. Maybe make it a national top five, and we'll get bills as we head deep into, into preseason camp uh, for twenty twenty three, not next year in twenty twenty four, and what all is going to happen. But well, what's your take right now? From what you've seen of Ohio State, is it legit? maybe still one of the top 3 teams in the country. Uh yes,
1: I do believe so. I'm very high on this Ohio State team for what it's worth. Probably higher than I have been since the 2020 COVID year when we found football was back. Uh even last year, I, I something might have been off at some point, but I'm very high on this Ohio State team. I think right now it's it's Georgia. I will put Michigan at number 2 right now just because of the returning production. I still don't don't know if Michigan's going to be able to get the 3p against Ohio State. Um, I would have Ohio State number three. Number four is where it gets interesting. Um, I would probably put LSU. I really like this LSU team. I do. I think they've got a lot of talent. And then I'm thinking preseason Florida State, but I don't love that. I'm not attached to that. And I'm probably leaving somebody out. uh, But I think that's where my, my thought process goes right now. But that LSU Florida State game could be one of two things. It could be uh, you know at the end of the season we look back and it's 12 and0 versus 11 and one and we say, wow, that was incredible or it's a Texas Notre Dame rematch uh, from a few years back um, and it's you know six and six versus seven and five. So you just don't know, but, yeah. but that's the preseason lean right now shows those five teams for me as like, okay, if I if I had to do it right now, I would say that's my five, but it's not a very confident picking me saying that,
0: too. Bill. Interesting, you know. Bill, he leaves out Alabama, and number two, you know. Then, then, then you look in this season, early season, LSU, Florida State, and you got, you've got Alabama hosting Texas. Texas probably would have beaten Alabama last year. I know, you know, uh, you know. Uh, I know, I know, I know. Ohio State would have beaten Georgia if Marvin Harrison Jr. hadn't gotten hurt. I mean, there are all these what ifs that happen, but obviously Quinn Ewers getting hurt uh, in that Alabama Texas game. There are a couple of games early in this year that are really are going to shake up or maybe uh, define that, uh, that, that top five. Do you agree, Bill?
2: Oh, for sure. I mean, that Spence hit on it. The Florida State-LSU game's huge. So the three big games of September, Florida State-LSU, Texas-Alabama, Ohio State-Notre Dame. Yeah. I, I kind of group them. The one that has the most playoff impact, probably LSU-Florida State. The one that would create will create the most viral reaction, Alabama-Texas. Because if Texas somehow wins that game, I'm just going to be writing for 12 straight hours, much like last Friday. Um, and then <laughs> the one that I'm actually most interested in is Ohio State Notre Dame, because I want to see Notre Dame feels like they have a quarterback with Sam Hartman. But that's a kind of a statement game for Ohio State, you know, for all the talk about losing to Michigan. And then should have, you guys are right, if Marvin Harrison doesn't get hurt. That could go different, but the fact remains they've lost. If Notre, if Notre Dame pulls that upset, you know what the heat's going to be on Ryan Day. If But then on the flip side, if Ohio State just goes to South Bend and hammers them, I think the narrative becomes Ohio State's the team to beat in the Big Ten. So yeah. those are the three big games. Uh, my top five, by the way, so I'm squeeze it in, pretty much the same. Georgia, Michigan, you got to give Michigan that number two spot because until Ohio State beats them, I would go Ohio State three, Alabama four. I think we're underselling them a little bit. they they still got a ton of talent. And all their tough ones are at home, by the way. They play uh, LSU, Tennessee, and Texas at home. Right. And then I would go LSU based on the talent they have back. Those are the five teams. I don't know if I would stray past that top five, Tim, for a team that I believe can win the national championship. Other than maybe Florida State, I like them a little bit.
0: Give me that top five again, though. I got kind of lost in your explanations there.
2: Your top five are Georgia, and then what? Uh, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, LSU. Yeah,
0: that's a that's a working deal. Uh, I, I truly believe after the second September, or after the second Saturday in September, though, we may be talking about Texas in in that spot where Alabama is. Because I, I'm telling you, I agree with Urban Meyer. I think Texas is loaded from a talent standpoint. And if they can get that win on the road, man, that, that changes everything. And uh, it also puts in perspective, the expanding, uh, the the expanding SEC, which is coming uh, also, you know, with Texas and Oklahoma joining down the road. But uh, I, I would agree. I wanted to ask you this bill because um, you're on, uh, you're my semi-regular irregular guest. uh What do you think about Ohio state right now? I mean, what is your biggest question looking at it from a, uh, from the, From the vantage point, you have a little bit higher altitude than maybe Spence and I do? Well,
2: I mean, the offense is going to be good. I I have no questions about quarterback, honestly. You know, McCord or Devin Brown, probably McCord. It's not going to matter. He's going to be good. Their offense is going to score a ton of points. I think the offensive line will come around. I mean, the question is Jim Knowles and big plays. And how many times did we hear Ryan Day say they've got to eliminate big plays? And in these big games – The losses the last two seasons, you're looking at 450 and 500 yards given up, you know, over 40 points, like that needs to change. And if you, in those big games, if you hold a team to 20 to 24 points, you're going to win. So I think in the big games, the big plays, it's Notre Dame, it's Penn State, it's Michigan. Those are the three games that if they win two or three, they're going to be back in the playoff. But, you know, like you say, okay, you're going to win two of the three of those games. Most Ohio State fans are going to take, okay, or did we lose to Notre Dame or Penn State? Did we not? You know, they, they're going to want that last one. And I think Spencer's right. Michigan hasn't beat them three straight years since I was in high school. And I in that golf outing, I was borderline, bordering a 25-year reunion. So it, that will be a huge game. It'll be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I know Bill Bender had to get going, man. He's a uh, busy man uh with the sporting news and all he's in demand with radio TV and uh I think Broadway's even calling his name occasionally, Spence. What do you think?
1: <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. That guy's everywhere. Uh yeah. I've known I've known Bill since uh I was a freshman in college. He, he helped me at, when I was at OU, uh, you know, Bobcat through and through. And so uh it's always great to talk to him, though. He he's one of the smartest guys you'll talk to about college football.
0: Yeah, he and he's your he's a mentor, he's a great guy, and uh He's a mentor for you and a good friend of mine. And we appreciate him enjoying us. But let's let's uh let's like Taffy, let's pull this Ohio State discussion out just a little bit longer, okay? Uh, you know, you and I are both hit the nail on the head that right tackle is the is the position that we're concerned about in this Ohio State uh offense, not quarterback. And and it, did you get a sense of the of the practice we got to watch this past week and the, the, the tidbits we picked up on. Do you get the sense that this quarterback um, conundrum may not be um, as may not be as uh, a mystery as much of a mystery as maybe they're playing it out to be? What is your take on that?
1: I don't think it's a mystery at all, Tim. And and you know, I was a little more dismissive of you and Andy. I will admit, in hindsight, that that this was a competition. I, I think Devin Brown did do a good job in pushing Kyle McCord, but the things that I saw on Thursday, even on day one, no pads on. I think there's a little bit of a gap there. And I think Devin Brown has done a really nice job in Mm -hmm. trying to close that gap. I think the starting point on that gap was just too much. And the experience Kyle McCord has, honestly, the mobility kind of is starting to surprise me a little bit. Kyle is much more mobile than even I give him credit for, and I've been high on him since he was 16 years old. And so I do think that there's a little bit too much separation there. I think it would be wise if in the next – Two weeks, we're sitting here talking about the quarterback that has been named the starter and not just who will be named the starter because I think taking that leadership role by the horns and and really being able to run with it is something that's important for this team. Uh, A team that's stacked with veterans, you need your young quarterback, your inexperienced quarterback to be able to be one of those voices along with those veterans, learn from those veterans as a leader. I think this this quarterback competition is is close to its end, and I think that, that the Buckeyes will be better
0: for naming one sooner rather than later. Yeah, it's funny how narratives get get formed, you know. And I, I was dispelling this idea that Cal McCord is uh, is just a pocket passer and can't run or scramble way back in the spring. And I told you there was there were a couple of plays. Well, you you know you you were there too. A couple of plays we got to see. Number one, with him just taking a, a zone read option. Now, granted, he's in a black jersey and not supposed to get hit, but no one was close to hitting him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, on one run around the right end. But it wasn't just that he kept the ball. He, You know, he didn't look like Tom Brady running. You know, he looked he looked apart. He looked athletic, meaning fast. Uh, you know, Michael Vick fast? No. Uh, Justin Fields fast? No. But he looked fast enough. And then, of course, when he just bulled his way into the end zone, you know, a couple of times, on one of those little scrimmage axes we got to watch. I think it was on – might have been Student Appreciation Day. I can't remember. Get those mixed up in my head. Um, you know, this guy gives you everything you want in a quarterback in terms of the modern-day quarterback, a guy who can run, who will run, but they would prefer him when it's a pass play call, stand back there and deliver the goods, right, or get out on the edge and deliver the goods. And I think we're going to see him grow more and more uh, in that regard, not just – Uh, among the media watching, but among the fan base, you know, when they finally get to see him turn it loose. Uh, You know, is he, is he CJ Stroud yet? No. Uh, But man alive, they just want him not to make mistakes, not to throw the ball to the other team. And I think he, I think he has the temperament to uh, control himself, to be, to be not nervous for one of another term uh, going into that opener at Indiana, you know, but like you said, uh, everything looks pretty clear to us right now but there's still 3 weeks of camp left and anything can happen right
1: Yeah and here's the thing Tim I I try my best not to to scold fans to talk down to fans to do things like you know what I mean you know what I'm, I'm trying with to you say. But because you know we do get to watch these practices and, and fans don't and I, sometimes I feel for fans not being able to although some of them got to watch uh practice this yeah. past weekend that was kind of yeah. cool for us to do but here's the deal like, I think Ohio State fans' perspective on offense shifted a little too much to the other way when they saw Urban Meyer running his quarterback ad nauseum for seven years. Ryan Day doesn't want that from his quarterbacks, almost to a fault, where C.J. Stroud was a, a little bit of a statue for 12 games and then had to become a mobile guy against Georgia. But that doesn't mean he couldn't do it. Like, I don't think you need a real mobile quarterback. Like, if he needs to escape the pocket, that's fine. Right. find Urban Harrison Jr., but finding Marvin Harrison Jr. on third and four when he's when he's going to get open is just as effective as scrambling for five yards, extending right. the play, taking a hit, and extending the the drive with your Kyle McCord with his legs. And so I, I think Ohio State needs a little bit of mobility from its quarterback. I don't think it needs even what they had with C.J. Stroud against Georgia, because the only reason they did that was because Jordan Davis was lining up on the other side of the field. Right. So, that's my thing is like, I don't, don't know if Ohio State needs a Devin Brown mobility. I think they probably need the mobility Kyle McCord gives them, but I don't know if they need any more or any yeah. less. Yeah. And so that's yeah. where I like this quarterback, uh, McCord. I, I think he's going to have, I think he's got every trait that Ohio State really likes in its quarterbacks.
0: Yeah. And, 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 ladies and gentlemen, we're just sitting here, we're parsing, really. Cause I think Devin Brown is extremely talented. I think yeah. Devin Brown could run this offense probably as well as Kyle McCord. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll probably never know one way or the other. Uh, and, you know, you, you know, just for their sake, you hope it, you hope things aren't, aren't determined based on injury or, or anything else happening other than just playing football. But I think Ohio State is in great hands in the quarterback position with his top two. And even Tristan Jebia is a guy who's competent enough to go in there and run the offense. Uh, we, we know about Lincoln Keenholz and the, the freshman uh, from Pierre, South Dakota, uh, who's coming in. Uh, is learning the system right now. Much more athletic, I think, than than most people thought he was. You know, he just he won that Gatorade uh, National Athlete of the Year Award. Or, he, you know, he played uh, uh, for his high school. He played football, basketball, and baseball and was great at all three. I mean, this guy's a pure athlete, man. And it's cool kind of like watching him run around out there. But let, let's go to one other thing before we get out of here with this uh, show. Uh, we talked about on offense – that one question you won't answered, it's got to be answered before the opener, September 2nd in Indiana. On defense, what is your one question right now that needs to be answered? It doesn't have to be a position. It can be I, a scheme. I don't have a lot of questions about
1: the defense, and I think that's a weird wow. position for me to be in because the only other year that they've been good enough for me not to have a question is 2019. Yeah. Since then, they haven't been good on defense. Every year I go into this camp, especially the second week of camp, scratching my head like, okay, what's this defense going to be? I think this defense is going to be wonderful. I really do. I think this is going to be a very good, competent defense. And I think there's a level of competence that's been missing the last few years. So that, with that being said, and I don't mean to be long-winded. I'm sorry, Tim. My biggest question is who's starting at safety? I, in a way, beat the drum for Cameron Martinez because of what I saw from him in spring ball, I thought he was excellent and he yep. was reliable and he took that blunder against Michigan and completely ran with it and used it to fuel his offseason entirely. Then we go out there on Thursday and I he's not on the practice field very much, maybe just limited for a day, maybe not, but I saw Jahad Carter out there as a deep safety when I thought he was going to play nickel and I saw Sonny Styles as a nickel when I thought he was going to play deep safety and I saw Lathan Ransom was the constant. Who's playing safety, Tim? And yeah. how many guys in this rotation on, at safety do they truly trust? Yeah. Because last year they started Josh Proctor, but it was very apparent from the first play of the year when Lorenzo Styles Jr. got loose, they didn't trust Josh Proctor. So you can start a guy and not trust him. You can trust a guy and not start him. Right. So what does this rotation <laughs> look like at safety? That's my biggest question because it comes down to who do you trust? Yeah, and and that's there's there's a lot of bodies in there, um, but the trust factor can't be understated. I think that Jim Knowles and, and Perry Eliano have to be able to trust these guys in order to have them on the field.
0: Yeah, and a guy that's stirring the drink really, uh, in that defensive backfield, that four-two-five, in that five discussion, a guy who's really stirring the drink right now, in my opinion, is Davison Igbinosen, because he could be, he could he could. He could supplant Jordan Hancock, you know, as a starter. But now what do you do with Jordan Hancock, who's one of your at least top three corners uh, as we speak right now? Uh, what do you do with a couple of those other corners? What I'm getting to here is uh, the four two five 5 may be – we may see three corners out there as much as we see three safeties. You know You follow my drift? I mean, meaning using one of those corners as a nickelback. But then what do you do? I mean, it, it's really interesting when you get in these conversations with Jim Knowles is, you know, in your – you know that this guy has a plan, but he kind of keeps giving you little insights into what he's scheming. And he's got C.J. Hicks, for example, uh, possibly playing that jack position. Well, who comes off the field when C.J. Hicks is possibly playing in the jack? He's got Mitchell Melton now. They're they're pretty much looking at him as a defensive end right now to pretty much clear his plate so he can figure out a way to get on the field. Mitchell Melton is – you know, as we all know, was scheduled to be that Jack uh, this time, uh, well, about 15 months ago, and then he got injured in uh, in spring ball and never got to play last year. Uh, so what are they going to do with Mitchell Melton? But my point is, I think Jim Knowles' 4 2 scheme is in the washing machine right now in his own brain on exactly what he wants to throw out there. And I'm sure he would uh, he would probably disagree with me that he has a clear and concise plan. But there are there's so many hints being thrown out there about what they're going to do with Sonny Styles, what they're going to do with C.J. Hicks, uh, what they're going to do with Mitchell Melton, and then what they're going to do with that extra cornerback. because I think they're pretty talented at cornerback. I think you agree with me on that. So what do you do with these guys, right? Absolutely. I, they're plenty
1: talented enough to be very good at cornerback. I think Denzel Burke, has all the potential of any of the elite corners we've seen at Ohio state through the years. Um, And then Jordan Hancock, if he stays healthy, there are very few guys where they come off an injury and there's no questions whatsoever about them. Jordan Hancock, it's very clear from the Ohio state coaching staff, he came off his injury and there are no questions about him. They think he's going to be very, very, very good. Yeah. Um, And that is, that is very telling because even the coaching staff will kind of tip their hand and ask questions in a way they answer questions, you know, about like, well, we got to see where he's at after, you know, coming off an injury. I know it was just a hamstring, but they're very there's a very uh certainty, there's very much a certainty about Jordan Hancock's level that they expect from him. Yeah. Despite not really seeing him in a lot of game time at a hundred percent.
0: Yeah. And, and that- let me interject. And this time a year ago, there was a good chance he was going to be one of the two starting cornerbacks. I mean, there was a good chance of that. Yeah, Cam Brown was back, but but it was Jordan Hancock and Denzel Burke that a lot of us were talking about, right? And so they've got, he's got that going for him. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, and it, that that's what gives me a lot of confidence in this cornerback trio. I think Davis and Ipinosan, He he is what he is. I think he's going to be pretty good. But, you know, you don't start ten games in the Southeastern Conference without as a, being, freshman. As a freshman without being baseline. Good. Now he's got to be either capital G good or great. And so I I don't know if he's going to supplant Jordan Hancock, but I think that if you told me in December that Jordan Hancock and Davidson Igmanosin took the same number of snaps in 2023, in the 2023 regular season, I would say that makes sense. That's fine. It doesn't really matter who starts between those two. I think they're both going to play a lot. So this cornerback trio especially has me excited to watch this defense and then the guys behind them, the Jair Browns, the Ryan Turners, the Calvin Simpson Hunt from Waxahachie, Texas, like you said, yes. like, the Jermaine Matthews uh, of the world, you know, those guys, they've got a chance. But when you've got three talented guys, as long as you stay healthy, you don't really need many more.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. Well, we'll see where this goes, Spence. I think it's, it's an intriguing preseason because of that, because, um, you know, they all know the Jim Knowles system now, 425, but I think that system is evolving, you know, <laughs> and yeah. uh, and uh, you know, and and like you just pointed out, who who is that other corner besides Denzel Burke? Well, when you looked up in Jim Knowles the first day of camp, he named uh, he named Jordan Hancock, I think, his silver bullet of the day. And it might have been vice versa. And in the next second day of camp, he named Davis and Egg Benoson his silver bullet of the day. Of all the players that were available there to be named Silver Bullets of the Day. Wow, that kind of that that has to open your eyes a little bit on what uh Jim Knowles is thinking about. He thinks both of those guys are quite capable, you know, along with Denzel Burke, right? Uh absolutely. I would say
1: Ohio State cornerbacks stock up after yeah. seeing that. Uh, yeah. Definitely yeah. definitely buying buying the uh the boom on Ohio State at the cornerback spot. That that's a position that I'm not concerned about at all. And that's a weird position to be in, Tim, considering You know, we haven't – we've had quite a few worries about this cornerback room in the past.
0: Yeah, and speaking of weird positions being last thing, uh, you've got Marvin Harrison, Jr. and Mecca Egbuka. Who's that third guy now? Is it is it Julian Fleming or is Julian Fleming – I mean, uh, I don't know. That wide receiver room, man, Colonel Tate and Brandon Ennis are the real deal. I know we've only gotten to see a limited amount, but Colonel Tate, I saw enough from him to know he's got to play. I saw enough from him in the spring to know he's got to play. Who's that? If they put three wides on the field today, well, I guess it, I guess it probably would still be Julian Fleming, right? But this is a this is a big camp for Julian Fleming. Agreed. Yeah,
1: um, I I'm not ready, and I don't think you're like, you know, presenting the eulogy for Julian Fleming. No, oh, absolutely as a, not as a starter. But Tim, I'd like to remind some people that this is a guy who, in his first six games last year at Ohio State, had. I think six touchdown catches. Maybe it was his first five games. He had six touchdown catches. Yeah. He didn't have another one, but that tells you when he got healthy last year, he was really good. And against Michigan, he had five catches for 47 yards. Those were, there were some drive extenders. There were some big catches there against Georgia. He was even better. He had five catches for 71 yards against the defense that now fields. I think all 15 guys in that rotation or in the NFL.
0: Yeah. Or with the Philadelphia Eagles, but go ahead. <laughs> I,
1: there's a problem with, with the recruiting industry where we expect the number one receiver to just be yeah, a 200 ga- yard a game guy and be the next Julio Jones. That yeah. doesn't always happen. That doesn't mean that Julian Fleming's not a really good player. And I think people have maybe forgotten, even though the last time they saw Julian on the field, he had five catches and five catches against the two best secondaries they played all year. Yeah. He was good. And so I think there are people who have kind of forgotten that. Julian Fleming has a good chance to remind people of that. I know the talent level that Carnell Tate has. Carnell is going to play. I'm not saying that he should, that Julian should play every snap over Carnell Tate. I do think though, people have a little bit, maybe sold Julian Fleming a little bit short here in the preseason. He's the 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 surefire number three right now, and I don't think it's even close. Yeah. I know Carnell is really talented, but there's a little bit of a uh, let's take a step back. For a second and realize how good Fleming has been when fully healthy. Now, if he's not healthy this season, I think it's Carnell Tate's time. Yeah. But but that doesn't mean that you know a healthy Julian Fleming is going to be off the field for uh you know freshman Carnell Tate.
0: Yeah, and I brought that subject up as a in, in a provocative way because I wanted to see what you had to say. Cause there are guys that when you start talking about this football team, you forget. You know, I mean, when you start talking about the talent, you forget. Uh, and uh And I think Julian Fleming is one of those kind of guys. I mean, Jaden Ballard, you know, I was being facetious about Julian Fleming a big August. This is a huge August for Jaden Ballard to prove that he belongs in that rotation also because we know his upside. And we also know that he hasn't gotten on the field on a regular basis, you know, perhaps because of reliability situations. Uh, You know, by reliability, are you doing the right things? Uh, when the play is called, so to speak, you know, and uh, so the talent on hand there, it's going to be interesting to watch Brian Hartline uh, run herd on that group, along with being the offensive coordinator. You agree, right? Yes,
1: I would agree. The first point, even more so, that it's a big, sp- big training camp for Jaden Ballard, uh, because again, Carnell Tate and Brandon Innes aren't going anywhere. Yeah, and so it's it's just one of these things where. Jaden Ballard has a lot of talent, but in this wide receiver room, it's not even availability being the best ability um, because if you're dependable when you are healthy, you're going to get a nod over a guy who's not dependable. And so the best ability in this wide receiver room is dependability. Brian Hartland looks for it more than anything. Competence yes. and dependability. Julian Fleming, when he's on the field, is dependable. He might not always be on the field, but when he's there, you you can count on him. Um, Carnell Tate, I think, is – slowly creeping into dependable. I haven't seen him really drop a pass yet. And we watched a lot of spring ball and we saw a lot on Thursday. You know, Brandon Ennis, I think, is going to get there eventually. I don't know if he's quite there yet, just as a freshman. Jaden Ballard has not been the um I won't say he hasn't been dependable, but I think there's a level of of dependability you have to to get from him in the next 20 days before yeah, you can I think
0: we I think we game all game. thought he had a really strong spring. I did. Yes. I mean I thought he had a great spring And but like you said, you start looking at this guy and this guy and you start hearing about this guy and this guy and you forget about this guy, you know, and uh, and that's what I wanted to bring up with you. That's why I was trying to be brought up Julian Fleming, because, you know, you talk about those top two receivers. I'm talking about regular fans do. But then they think, okay, well, you know, uh, I want to see this young guy play now, you know, like you're talking about because he's so ballyhooed. I mean, Colonel Tate's, for example, Colonel Tate's catch radius is pretty substantial meaning his ability to catch a ball, you know, uh, much like Marvin Harrison, Jr. And it reminds me of his catch radius. And so those are the things that wow you. But Julian Fleming definitely has put in the time. He's shown the loyalty. And uh, last year, like you said, when he was called upon and he was healthy, he delivered for the most part, right? Yeah. And, you
1: know, he hasn't lost any of that speed, I'll tell you that much.
0: Yeah. Like
1: he has – he still will will forever be the, the receiver who caught C.J. Stroud's longest ever touchdown pass. Yeah. 76 yeah. yards against Iowa, and that's because he got behind the defense because he's so fast. Yeah. And so that, Tim, if I just can add that, that's where I think Jaden Ballard runs into a little bit of trouble in this rotation, is Marvin Harrison Jr. can go get a deep ball, um, you know, and get behind a corner. We saw that against Michigan on that 41 yard uh go route from CJ Stroud. Yeah. Mecca is a burner. He's fast enough where he can get loose and get in the secondary. Julian Fleming has not lost a bit of his speed he's even gotten a little faster I think he can be a burner if you need him to none of these guys are really asked to very often but everybody knows Jaden Ballard for his speed but the difference between four three and four or four three five and four four zero is not very much especially in football pads yeah and so I think that's where Jaden Ballard might run into a little bit of trouble is if all of these guys are just a bit slower, maybe even just as fast as him, there's no reason to have a guy who you view as specifically a burner on the field when the other guys may be able to do a few more things on top of just being a burner. That's where I think the trouble for him runs in. But I think he can also have a good training camp like he had in the spring and and find a, a role uh, in this receiver rotation. It's just going to be up to him to do it and show Brian Hartline he deserves to be on the field September 2nd.
0: Agreed. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have come to the end of the Tim May Show once again. I want to appreciate uh, Bill Bender for joining us from the Sporting News uh, because I wanted to get the three-generational look at the expansion, uh, this orogeny that uh, the Big Ten and college football are going through now, the the uh, continental shifts that are happening. Uh, continents are, are jamming together. Now it, I guess it's not so far from the east coast to the west coast uh, as it used to be, right, Spence? Because, uh, dude, there are going to be four teams from the west coast in the Big Ten. It's still hard to wrap your head around. I don't care, right? Yeah, it's, Tim. Uh, for the younger I'm talking about the west coast, not Utah. I'm talking about yeah. way on farther out there.
1: <laughs> for the west, for the for the the younger generation, Tim, there's a meme. On Twitter, that's like a small domino being pushed over, and then there's the the big domino waiting to fall over. And I'm I think I might make that of you know Orville and Wilbur Wright inventing the the airplane as the little domino, and then Washington and Oregon joining the Pac-12 as the big domino because this is now officially an airplane conference. There's no regionality to this thing at all. There might be some cohesion and how they run their universities as research institutions and whatever the talking points of all these presidents are but make no mistake this is an airplane conference for college football and it's not for basketball it's not for volleyball it's definitely not for field hockey and swimming and diving and rowing um and so that's just where we are now yeah and And when it when it breaks apart it'll be a lot better because the other programs can go back to playing their regional rivals and the airplane conference can just be for college football
0: yeah and when we saw Texas and Oklahoma announce they were going to the SEC a couple of years ago, and then we saw uh, USC and UCLA announce they were going to the Big Ten, uh, you know that that just knocked that knocked the feet out of both of those conferences, whether they want to admit it or not. And definitely the way you were seeing the the uh, the TV broadcast the things being uh, being discussed out in the Pac-12, you know what have you got left that's worth us giving you X amount of money. You knew it was a matter of time before the before the Big Twelve. Uh, it's more of an explosion, right? Because pieces went out of it. Yeah. An implosion is when everything goes in, in interior, uh, but it, it exploded right there. And now you've got four teams left. That's just man. It's just it's just for a guy like me when I grew up with the Pack Eight, and then it was a Pack Ten, and it was a Pack Twelve. Uh, you know, things are always changing. But then all of a sudden you look and there's four teams left there. Uh, that's not really a conference anymore and it's really going to be interesting to see what which which other shoes drop but the big shoes with the exception of Notre Dame because I want to tell you something Notre Dame and then whoever else the Big Ten adds that will just be the other team that comes in with Notre Dame in my opinion uh, because there's no other huge shoe out there other than Notre Dame as as far as the Big Ten uh, uh, landscape I don't know if you agree or not.
1: I definitely agree Tim and it it's sad to be doing the funerals for the Pac-12, but like Bill Bender said, if you, unless you're a, a nutcase like all of us who stay up at 2 a.m. watching Washington State, Arizona State, just to say we did it, yeah, um, pretty much. Um, hey, you know, did you? Then, say, yeah, yeah, and and then wake up on Sunday feeling like we're terribly hungover, but it's really just our eyes can't stop watching football. Nobody was watching, and so yeah. you can you can uh, you know eulogize and and wear the black veil for the Pac-12, but. Um, you know, it's not like you were walking around beating the chest for Oregon state. So no. this is, it's just so crazy, Tim. I was actually, if I can just add one more thing, I was reading a story from 2010 that I think was shared on Twitter or wherever. And it was talking about how Larry Scott and the PAC 12 had signed the PAC 10. I believe it still was then had signed the richest TV deal in history. Yeah. And it was 10 years for a billion dollars and every school or a couple a few billion dollars and every school was going to get 25 million dollars a piece. And that was earth-shattering news. Yeah. The explosion from all of this hasn't really come from anywhere other than inside these, these schools' own house, where not even 12 years ago were Ohio State and Alabama and Florida State making $20 million off a TV deal. Washington states and Oregon states were outgaining them in that TV revenue. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the SEC and the Big Ten are making upwards of $70 million a year in just 12 years. Yeah. And so that that is where my mind is just blown is how we've gotten here. And the answer always, always comes back to the TV networks. The first yeah. thing I said on this show, Tim, the yeah. first thing I said was, who does this benefit other than the networks? And that's how I'm going to end it. Nobody it benefits the
0: networks. And that's, that's about it. But the other thing you left unsaid was where have we gotten to in college athletics now that, you know, people are griping about having to share more of the pie. You know, if you see, if uh, with Washington and Oregon coming in, how that pie is going to get chopped up a little bit more. And, you know, like you just said, the escalation of how much the big 10 members are getting from uh, ten years ago to now, from the TV networks, it's stunning how much more money is involved. Even if you have to give up five or ten percent of that back into the kitty to help pay for Washington and Oregon being in the being in that pie now, well, what are you doing with all that money? You know what I mean? It's like things are kind of out of control. We'll talk about that on another Tim May show, but it's it's amazing now that you you know it's like once you're making so much money per year then all you want to see is a raise, not a cut, right? Even though 10 years ago, you weren't making half that. I mean, things are crazy, man. And uh, we'll see if we'll see if, uh, a lasso gets thrown around all this uh, by Congress or somebody else. I'm not holding my breath about Congress, as you well know. But uh, boy, I appreciate you joining me again, Spencer. And I, I, like I said, I appreciate Bill Bender joining us again and uh, on the Tim May Show. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, hope you enjoyed this show. Uh, we talk about, uh, obviously what's going on in major college football, major college athletics right now. And we all, we talked specifically, Spencer and I did, we got we did a deep dive into Ohio State and what's going on in camp right now and what we think has to happen in camp before that opener, September 2nd against Indiana. But, Spence, thanks for joining me again, my man.
1: Always appreciate it, Tim.
0: And until next week, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you then.